Welcome to Rose Tinted, a podcast where we challenge the limits of our nostalgia by re-examining some of our favourite childhood movies. I'm Ollie Chip. And I'm Paddy HK. And this week we are discussing X-Men. Yes, hello and welcome to Rose Tinted. Before we get started, I just wanted to give any new listeners some background info about this podcast. So Ollie and I are old friends who decided to make a list of our favourite childhood movies so we can revisit them one by one to see if they still hold up to scrutiny. Some loose rules for our selection process, the movies have to bear some kind of significance to our childhood or early adolescence, and we try to only select movies that we have not watched since that time. So with that out of the way, Ollie, why don't you tell us a little bit about X-Men? So um, X-Men is one of, I think, 11 X-Men-related franchise movies. Yes. And we're talking about the first one, and I'm I'm a bit of a stickler for correct titles. So this one is called X-Men. It's not X-Men 1, Mm. it's just X-Men right so it's the one from the year 2000 directed by brian singer he also co-wrote it with someone called tom DeSanto. none of these names really meant anything to me at all Mm -hmm. starring hugh jackman as wolverine and he's had that role for the best part of 20 years um halle berry patrick stewart and ian mckellen like pretty stellar cast to be fair yeah in terms of budget it cost a mere 75 million which i Mm. thought was pretty modest considering some of the talent they've got in the film Uh, and it made close to 300 200 $96.3 $96.3 million. So yeah. a good successful uh, first run out from the X-Men franchise. Uh-huh, nice, very nice. So um, as always, I'll go through my two sort of summaries of the film. So here's the official one. Uh, Tension is mounting between humanity and the growing population of genetically enhanced mutants. When a summit of world leaders is organised to discuss the possible threat of mutants to humanity, Magneto, a cynical and zealous mutant leader, hatches a plan to destroy all those who oppose him. It is up to the pacifist, Professor Xavier and his team of X-Men to stop Magneto's plans before it is too late. Very good summary as always, my friend. And the uh, shortened version of that, my one-line summary, uh, fights happen, people explain the reason why the fights are happening, fights happen again. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of a lot of exposition in this movie. A lot of exposition. Uh, but we will get into that. But beyond that, why did this movie make the list for you? Um, this movie, to me, sit in my memory, sits alongside Sam Raimi's Spider-Man and some of the uh, Batman movies from the Tim Burton era. It's one of those sorts of movies that my parents would just stick on for me because they knew it would keep me busy. You know, it's got enough distraction in it to be one of those sort of wet Sunday afternoon type movies where you can just sit in front of the telly and just watch it for a couple of hours. Yeah, just switch off. Yeah, I mean, it's never really... I've never really thought about this movie until, like, yesterday. Um, So in terms of its, like, emotional resonance, it doesn't really have much with me. I just remember it being, like, a a regular on the rotor of movies I used to watch when I was bored. Yeah, fair play, fair play. I think it was pretty similar for me. I do remember really enjoying this movie as a kid, and I returned to it quite often, and I think it's, it's one of the movies that I have actually gone back to over the years quite a lot. I think 
it is important that we're discussing it because this is the first seed of that reimagining of the superhero franchise that has culminated with the Marvel Cinematic Universe and all of that stuff today. Yeah. This, alongside the Spider-Man movies, were sort of the first attempt to rehash those franchises because the Batman movies, they were sort of almost the tail end of the old school. Yeah. And then you had the weird Joel Schumacher ones that were in the mid-90s that were just a bit abstract and strange. And then this was the first attempt at bringing superheroes into the modern era, so to speak, and it really provided a precursor for what we are just relentlessly subjected to these days. Yeah, it's basically a blueprint, isn't it, of, of yeah. what a modern superhero movie is. And I think it's quite interesting as well that this happened literally dead on the turn of the century as well. Yeah. I mean, the resentment I have for this movie is that it spawned the dawn of the superhero, which I just fucking hate. So. Yeah, I'm going to ask you a little bit more about that in a second, because I know that's a topic that we have to sort of generally address. Mm. Uh, but before we do, I'm just going to quickly cover some of the scenes that I remember from this movie. I, I, To be fair, I remembered quite a lot from this movie, because like I said, I've revisited it over the years. Uh, but the two scenes that really stick out for me in my memory are Senator Kelly's death. So the the yeah. the, the main <laughs> lobbyist against the mutants, um, you know, he's a politician called Senator Kelly, and he's sort of being positioned as this autocratic figure who's like anti-mutant and he basically gets turned into a mutant by Magneto and he becomes this sort of like liquid creature and his death scene is basically him dissolving into liquid and I remember that really freaked me out as a kid and <laughs> stayed with me and even though despite the effects having aged quite poorly I think it's still a pretty unsettling scene it is it is quite freaky like the performance that the actor gives is is really uh, quite disturbing so yeah that scene stuck with me because it is quite horrifying actually to watch as a kid to watch this person basically turn into water and it's done really viscerally uh, the other scene that I remembered was there's a scene where Wolverine accidentally stabs Rogue and Rogue drains him of his powers to heal herself mm -hmm. and that was also another scene that I felt was quite impactful because Wolverine freaks out when he realises he's accidentally stabbed her and he's just screaming help me, help me, help me and that stuck with me for some reason so yeah they're the two main scenes uh, that I remember was there anything that stuck out to you particularly before going into the viewing of the movie? Um, no <laughs> <laughs> It was just a blur. <laughs> like, none of it. When you said to me, because I was, I was searching through the library looking for the movie, and obviously there's like a hundred fucking X-Men movies in the library. So I just had to confirm with you, didn't I? I rang yeah. you the other day and just said, is this the one? Took a screenshot of it. And you're like, yeah. And, and you were like, it's the one where it starts at a concentration camp. And at, it was that moment <laughs> I was like, oh shit. Yeah. <laughs> I don't remember this movie at all. Yeah, I was like, wow. Yeah, okay. Okay, well, fair play. Well, in that case, what I want to ask you is, could you elaborate a little bit on your general thoughts and feelings towards superhero movies and superhero franchises in general before we get into the discussion? Yeah, I mean, I just want to start by saying that, like, I think it's a relatively unpopular opinion to dislike superhero movies in, in the sort of the manner that I do. Like, I actively avoid them. And I don't generally think in terms of popular cinema goers, many people are like that at all. Mm. So uh, what always happens every time when I bring up my opinions on superhero movies is that people who like them 
will list movies that are really good. And I am acknowledging mm-hmm. here, and I always acknowledge, that there are definitely good superhero movies. Mm-hmm. But what I'm saying is that they are in the vast minority of these movies. Yeah. Like, there is always examples that disprove my opinion on them. So people often cite, like, the Dark Knight trilogy or, you know, the original Spider-Man movies or Deadpool mm-hmm. Into the Spider-Verse is a recent one that everyone always says, oh, yeah, it's really, really good. And I think, yeah, okay, of course there's going to be exceptions to my rules when the franchise is, like, a hundred movies big. Like, your sample size is so big that there's going to be some diamonds in the rough. Yeah. But my sort of, my outlook on it is that, by and large, as an entity, superhero movies are terrible. Um, And I've got a few Mm -hmm. reasons why I think that. Yeah. So, I think the main thing is it's less what the movies are, it's more what they represent about modern filmmaking. Yeah. They've just basically become, to me, a license to print money. Yeah. They're guaranteed box office successes, and the industry can get away with making them utterly cookie-cutter movies. Like, they are copy-pastes a lot of the time. A lot of them can be very, very similar, and it doesn't matter. You don't need any sort of unique creative vision to make them successful. You just need to churn out the same tropes over and over again, and you're going to guarantee money. And I think that's you know, that's a virus that's spreading in the industry Mm. and it's squashing creativity. Again, there are movies, superhero movies that are exceptions to this, but I'm just saying by and large, that is the case. Yeah. I mean, and even if they're good movies, their aims can still be the same, you know? Yeah, I mean, even even like Deadpool, for example, which is sort of like a postmodern piss take of what a superhero movie is. At the end of Deadpool, it falls into the same trap as every other superhero movie does, like defeat the villain, save the girl type narrative. Mm -hmm. And I think the other thing about them is, is like, it's what they represent, and it's what they represent over the last 20 years. Mm. Like, that's a long time to have this churning conveyor belt of shit that keeps coming out every, you know, three, four, five months. And yeah, that, I think that's the main reason why I'm against them. No, I totally understand that. I think it's absolutely fair play. I think generally speaking, what you're saying is correct. As a production line, they do represent something that I think is wrong with cinema. And I don't think it's just limited to superhero movies. The same could be said about Star Wars. The same could be said about any sort of like cinematic universe that seemed to be uh, profitable. That's a phrase that I am staunchly against is cinematic universe. Like that disgusts me. Yeah, I know. I know. And I'm using it just objectively because that's what they're describing. Yeah. As, like you know and i suppose it's more like a cinematic economy would be a would be a, a more accurate phrase right yeah and what and what tends to happen with these movies as well is like they pander to the cinematic universe as opposed to mm-hmm. serving you know the purpose of being a good piece of entertainment a lot of the time they're a movie like to fill in the gap in a universe do you know what i mean um, and it does my head in. It's rare that you will find a superhero movie that stands alone yeah. on its own two right. feet. And I think I do agree with you there. But as far as my own opinions on superhero movies go, I mean, I'm fairly ambivalent towards them. I think that, generally speaking, you're absolutely correct. They represent a sort of trend in cinema that plays it very safe. It's about making money. It's about pandering to as the lowest common denominator, as wide an audience as you possibly can. And they don't really tend to take risks. That being said, I mean, my favourite franchise of all time could possibly be argued to be a superhero franchise, which is uh, Buffy the Vampire Slayer. <laughs> it's not a traditional superhero franchise, but she is, in essence, a superhero, you know? And I do think there 
there are some notable exceptions that aren't just diamonds in the rough in terms of they just by chance happen to be good, but there are also examples of the genre that I think are not only good movies or good uh, TV shows or whatever, but work towards subverting the ideas that people have about superheroes and superhero movies. So notable examples for me would be the uh, Watchmen comic book series, which is fantastic. And that was the first attempt at really subverting the ideas that we have about superheroes. I also love the Preacher comics. I think they're amazing. But then also, most recently, The Boys, which I've been trying to convince you to watch. (laughs) But I think that's genuinely... It's literally about a bearded cynic who works as hard as he can to bring down the superhero industry. You looked me straight in the eyes when you said that. <laughs> it's literally your fantasy. But yeah, anyway, going back to just talking about generally like superhero movies, I tend to be ambivalent towards them, but there are some that I enjoy. I don't tend to feel strongly about them either mm-hmm. way. So the Avengers and things like that, I don't really care about. But then there's the odd one, like I really liked Into the Spider-Verse. Um, I really like Guardians of the Galaxy. Um, And they're the ones that I think, as we've said, tend to stand alone by themselves, Mm -hmm. you know, that I think can be appreciated as good movies in their own right. Um, But anyway, that's just a bit of context that I wanted to get out of the way. And with you having said this, and with us having acknowledged that X-Men is basically the embryo of all of these cinematic universes that happened years down the line, I'd be very interested to hear what you actually liked about the movie. (laughs) Okay. Um, this will be a quick one. <laughs> uh, so it's got a stellar cast, other than Halle Berry, who sucks. Oh, she sucks. She sucks so bad. Yeah. But she's given nothing to do, to be fair. True, but like of all of the mutants, like her one is pretty awesome. Like I like the idea of someone being able to like cool down the weather to help them out. That's mm. cool. But yeah, she sucks. But it's an absolute coup getting Sir Ian and Sir Patrick on a set mm. together. Like they yeah. they are like pillars of acting, and it's really yeah, good yeah. to see Grandpa Ian without a wizard's beard. Because like obviously, like I watched Lord of the Rings pretty much like on repeat throughout the year, and to actually see him in something where he's not hobbling around on a walking stick and he doesn't have a six foot beard is actually really refreshing. Mm. So I think like just seeing those two on screen and the fact that they're pitted against each other. Um, it's a shame it doesn't do it more in the movie, but like I, I just like those two actors, and I think what an absolute coup getting them both working together. So yeah, I, I enjoy. I think the cast, and you know, Hugh Jackman is decent as Wolverine. I don't particularly like Wolverine as a character, so I found it quite hard to get on board with him. But I can understand why he's a good casting for that role i think oh yeah i mean i think hugh jackman as wolverine is one of those lightning in a bottle casting moments you know whoever did the casting on wolverine absolutely knocked it out of the park because obviously they're going to revisit that character at some point and how they're going to find someone who's even half as well suited to that role i genuinely don't know especially because he's been in the role for like 20 years and seems to have been of an ambiguous age the entire time (laughs) which obviously plays into the fact that no one knows how old wolverine actually is i agree with you about the casting and especially those three yeah yeah so that that's my first point and my last point is that i thought some of the action was like campy fun over the top Mm. energetic like if you're gonna make a superhero movie for me it needs to be absurd to the point of hilarity and i think the fact that the last fight scene in this movie takes place at the top of the statue of liberty i just think is absolutely (laughs) fucking brilliant okay cool 
Um, well, yeah, it's nice to hear that you actually picked something out that you enjoyed, and I'm glad you noticed the casting as well, because I do think that's a real strength of the movie that I also had down. On my list, I had, I love the first act of the movie. Generally speaking, I think the first act of the movie, the tone, the pacing, the establishment of characters and themes is really strong, and you can feel yourself being drawn into the universe. The way they introduce Wolverine's character, I think it's one of the stronger character introductions I've come across in a superhero movie, because it's just like... You don't even see his face. He's in a bar in a cage fight and you don't see his face for the longest time. You just hear the barman talking to Rogue about him. And then eventually it's sort of like he's silhouetted. With that absurd cigar that he's got in his mouth. <laughs> well, yeah, exactly. And, and and it is over the top and it's ridiculous, but it is such a strong establishment of his character um, and everything that he signifies comes out in that short sequence in the bar at the beginning of the movie. There's also a lovely little character beat when Wolverine picks up Rogue in his truck and she looks at his claws, you know, where his claws come out and she says, when they come out, does it hurt? And he says, every time. And I just think that's such a nice little detail that says so much with so little. It says a lot about his character, like the very act of existing for him is a painful mm -hmm. one and it kind of explains a lot about his attitude with very little dialogue and i just really really loved that um so yeah aside from the casting again i agree with you patrick stewart and ian McKellen are an absolute joy to watch and it is a bit of a shame that we don't get more but aside from the casting i just loved the first act of the movie and actually the movie started to lose me after the first act i thought it didn't live up to the promise of the first no. act um but we will get into that i also thought again it's one of those things we don't want to linger on the visual effects too much because they're obviously going to have dated in a few ways don't we have a section when we're talking about that though yeah okay well yeah why don't we move into that straight away i was wondering whether or not to include that section in this episode but um yeah let's go to the cgi corner and let's just talk about some of the visual effects we need a bad name for it as well like we need to come up with a with a funny pun related name oh god i don't know man i'm too tired <laughs> i'm just gonna <laughs> i'm just gonna keep saying cgi corner for now but um, talking of the visual effects in the movie, it's a mixed bag. <laughs> yeah. It's a real mixed bag. And I think a good way of approaching this, rather than sort of listing or going into too much detail about the visual effects, why don't we just give an example of the best use of visual effects throughout the movie, the thing that stuck out to you the most, the scene or the, the segment that stuck out and the worst. Um, so what was the example of the best visual effect in the movie for you? I think everything about Mystique, I think was pretty seamless. Yeah. She's like a shapeshifter and um, they, they age really well. And, you know, I, I haven't seen any of the modern X-Men movies. I've seen trailers where, you know, the modern equivalent of Mystique is actually like as good as this one, it seems from what I've seen. So yeah, that was my best. What, what, what did you have written down? Uh, the best one that I had, relating back to what I just spoke about, there's a close-up of Wolverine's claws coming out. The camera's pointing at his knuckles. It's like an extreme close-up yeah. of his knuckles. And you see one of the blades piercing his skin and coming out. And not only did I think that was an effective visual effect, I just liked that shot. It really drove home kind of what he puts himself through every time mm. he unleashes his claws. Um, so that was my favourite effect in the movie. I thought, generally speaking, a lot of them held up pretty well. I agree with you about Mystique's. Uh, what about the worst one? What was the worst one for you? Uh, uh, I don't know which one to pick here. Roll the dice, my friend. Roll the dice. Yeah, I'm going to go with... Uh, Wolverine on the warp speed motorbike. For some reason, it, it can go at warp speed. Never explained. It's just a button on the bike that makes it go quick. Yeah. And uh, there's this awful, awful close-up of him sort of enjoying himself as he presses the button. And it looks like it looks like a side scroll in background from like a 40s movie. Um, 
close second everything to do with cyclops <laughs> yeah 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 um i actually had something entirely different and this effect was so bad that i remember watching the movie as a kid and thinking that doesn't look right and it's the bit that you actually mentioned at the top of the statue of liberty at the climax of the movie there's a bit where i can't even describe it visually because it's so perplexing but wolverine <laughs> tries to grab onto one of the horns of the statue of liberty with his claws and it does this weird thing where his claws kind of go like the camera tilts and it just shows him going all the way around the spike clinging on by his claws so he gets he gets lobbed off the top of the statue doesn't he so he's traveling at quite a pace through the air and he basically uses one of the statue of liberty's crown spikes as a break so he stabs his claws into it and he spins round the spike of the of the crown oh god it looks fucking awful like it looks so bad because it's like the claw marks are just like perfect geometric shapes <laughs> and it just looks really blocky it just looks like playstation one graphics it's absolutely awful um but i think generally speaking i'd say for a movie of its time the effects have held up all right apart from that one thing that i mentioned there was nothing insanely egregious um no i, I it was basically what i expected a movie from that era to look like i believe you've already met dr gene gray you're in my school for the gifted for mutants you'll be safe here from magneto what's a magneto so now that we've got that out of the way why don't we discuss in a bit more detail the things that you didn't enjoy about the movie I think there's a quote from Wolverine in this movie that maybe sums up my overall opinion of, of this. He gets rescued by the X-Men. Professor Xavier takes him back to the man the mansion. And Wolverine is standing in the room with Cyclops and Storm. And he goes, Toad, Cyclops, Storm. This is the stupidest thing I have ever heard. Yeah. And I was at that point, I was like, yes, Wolverine. Yes, it is. I just think everything about it was absurd to the point of hilarity. To be fair, I went into this movie wanting to hate it and was ready to be like, you know, gloves off, let's go to town on this piece of shit. But it actually ended up being just hilarious for me. Mm. Like, there were points in the movie where I was just laughing out loud because it was just genuinely so bad it was funny. But don't you think that what the movie's trying to do there is sort of... Because I think this movie's whole agenda is summed up by that line from Wolverine, right? Because it's trying to position itself as like, this is not your dad's superhero movie. This is like the cool new generation of superhero movies. So like, they all tell him their superhero names and he's like, oh, that's dumb. Because I think it's trying to poke fun of the idea of superheroes. It's really trying and it's not successful at all. Like, there's lots of back and forwards between Wolverine and Cyclops, isn't there? They don't like each other and they're do doing one-liners. It's basically a, a precursor or an attempt at like a Joss Whedon or a James gun screenplay which is full of like yeah. self-referential jokes and dispelling tension through comedy and stuff like that but i just think it does it very badly so it ends up just being cringeworthy in terms of that yeah. but the things that i found particularly funny like there's this one moment <laughs> in the movie i'm still laughing about it now <laughs> it's so good it's this one <laughs> bit of the movie where there's some like news footage of a protest that's taking place and that all of these humans are holding up signs like mutants go home or whatever and just mm. one of the signs just says send the mutants to the moon forever <laughs> it just says that on a sign and i just i died laughing when i read that um but yeah like i i knew you were gonna say is that not what it's trying to do and i think 
either they tried to do it and they failed epically or it was an afterthought and it's not powerful enough. I'd agree that I don't think it's particularly effective, but I don't think it was an afterthought because I think there's a couple of references throughout the movie, but it it comes across as like really self-assured and smug, like the movies being like, don't worry, we're a cool superhero movie. And it's like, there's a line where Cyclops says, oh, what were you expecting? Yellow spandex when like Wolverine comments on their superhero outfits. And uh, that's actually a reference to the original comic books where the X-Men did have yellow spandex suits. And so it's clearly trying to position itself as the anti-superhero movie. And I actually think, and this is just a quick callback to uh, what I enjoyed about the first act. I think the first act kind of succeeds as that. It kind of establishes it as a little bit more grounded, a little bit more gritty. Yeah, it degenerates really quickly. Yeah, it undoes itself and it becomes a little bit self-assured and smug, which kind of makes it come across as just really ineffective. But yeah, go on, sorry. Uh, Yeah, so I love him, but... I think Patrick Stewart's mutant ability in this movie is not to read minds, but his mutant ability is to successfully explain the plot to other characters. Yes. Like, all he fucking does from start to finish is explain what is happening and what is then going to happen. Yes, absolutely. I would agree with that. I think Charles Xavier's character, or I'm going to start calling him Charles Javier because, you know, it's an actual name and that's how you actually pronounce it. But uh, yeah, his character is basically little more than an exposition machine. A classy, a classy exposition machine. Oh, the classiest exposition machine money can buy, no doubt. But I would have liked to have seen a lot more development of his character and his philosophies and then place them in opposition to Magneto's character and philosophies. But yeah, he literally just spends the whole time explaining everything to Wolverine. Yeah. And that's all he spends the entire movie doing. This is goes back to what I was saying earlier about these movies being subservient to the universe that they're creating for themselves Mm. because you're absolutely right like i want to see more of javier's background (laughs) right but you know that that's for another movie that they've got in the pipeline so they're not going to do it here and that's what's terrible about them is that they hold off on what would make it a good movie Mm -hmm. for the success of the eventual franchise oh yeah this is definitely setting up a sequel from the get-go. Yeah. You can tell. And that's why the whole movie almost feels like exposition. Yeah. It's like a setup movie for the stuff that's to come. Yeah. And like I said, that is what is the core problem with superhero movies is that they are subservient to the stuff that comes after them. Yeah. Agreed. Uh, did you have anything else in particular? I mean, yeah, I'm I'm not keen as I've said before in the film, starting in a concentration camp, I'm just not okay with that happening. Yeah. And I think, you know, it's not the only superhero movie to try and base it on some sort of harrowing historical event. Captain America does it, Wonder Woman does it, and I'm just not okay with it at all because it it basically, I think, trivialises one of, if not the worst period of human history. Yeah, I, I think I definitely agree with you there. It doesn't really fit in with the rest of the movie and it isn't appropriate. Yeah, I was just not okay with it. I was not okay with it at all. The last one I've got, really, is is more of a question to you, see if you can help me answer this. And I know, like, picking plot holes in a superhero movie is a rabbit hole that no one needs to go down. But I'm just curious, because you might know a little bit more about this than I do, and I'm happy to have my ignorance demonstrated in this topic. But Rogue, right, her, her mutant power is, if she touches someone, skin on skin, then she absorbs some of their, like, life essence, right? Yeah, yeah. So, how was she born without killing her mother ah right so that is actually addressed in the movie is it yeah i think gene gray says it sort of mutant powers don't present themselves until puberty uh, yeah. so the scene where she's kissing that boy i think it's implied that that's the first time anything like that happened basically okay good thank you 
because I was going to say, yeah, that's a glaring, that's a glaring continuity error or a narrative error if that's the case. But I mean, that's actually something that I find quite interesting about Rogue's character is kind of like played by anonymous actress who's never done anything since. Ah, uh, actually, I'll have you know, she is Anna Paquin who plays Sucky Stackhouse in the gloriously trashy True Blood, which is <laughs> one of my favourite vampire franchises of all time. Like, so don't do her dirty. She's great in that. <laughs> Do you know what my favourite vampire franchise of all time is? You're going to say no vampire franchise? Yeah, that is absolutely correct. Yeah, you're missing out, dude. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to hold my, my framed picture of Buffy the Vampire Slayer up to the camera. <laughs> he is legitimately holding a picture of Sarah Michelle Gellar in a blue frame to the camera. It was a gift. It was a gift. But yeah, um, I'll go on to the biggest things that bothered me about the movie if you're through your list. Uh, I think that's it for me, yeah. Um, Well, for me, I think the flaw with the movie is more of a general one. So the movie's biggest flaw for me is probably is that it crumples under the weight of its ensemble casting. (laughs) Yeah. So like I said, I really enjoyed the first act. I, I, I thought Wolverine and Rogue and Magneto were established to be interesting characters what they represent their thoughts and philosophies kind of how they're presented i thought was really interesting and it grabbed me and then once you move past the first act you spend so much time with characters who are underdeveloped and fucking boring Mm. like you know i'm interested in wolverine and rogue and magneto and javier but i couldn't give a fuck about toad or cyclops or saber tooth or storm and we lose a lot of really potentially interesting character exploration as a result because you end up spending way more time with these characters who are less interesting and that really works to the movie's detriment i think and this is why these sort of movies these sort of ensemble casts if we just remove the context of cinematic universes for a second this movie the way that they try to explore the ensemble cast, it should have been a TV show. Yeah, exactly. And, and you know, th- this is the problem because the source material is a comic book at the end of the day. Like, mm. and I'm sure they didn't write comic books with the thought that one day, you know, huge media conglomerates would turn them into films. No. And a lot of the time with these movies, and X-Men is a good example of that, a lot of the time, the comic book sort of aesthetic, the comic book agenda does not mm. translate into film particularly well no i agree and if anything you're right in saying that they probably never foresaw these movies being made because i mean what x-men came out in the 60s or 70s and at the time comic books were very popular but also seen as a very niche art Mm. form pulpy pulpy yeah and so the idea that these would be like million dollar blockbusters is probably unthinkable to them at the time billion billion dollar yeah billion dollar franchises was probably unthinkable and actually you're right in that this sort of story suits a comic book a lot better because you can explore you can spend time with these individual characters and explore these individual relationships and explore these themes because i think the x-men comics when they came out were really quite subversive in terms of they created this allegory for civil rights they came out during the civil rights era or just after the civil rights era and created an allegory for it and it was very progressive and forward-thinking for its time but all of that gets lost when you try and cram it into a 90 minute movie or even a two or three part Mm. series of movies you know um 
But yeah, so I think there is too many characters being focused on. A lot of them are super boring, super underdeveloped. And I want to go on from that to say that other than Mystique and Magneto, the villains are laughably bad. Yeah, they are lame. So the other two main villains are Sabretooth and Toad. But basically, Sabretooth's superpower, as far as I can tell... Like, what is Sabretooth's superpower other than being incredibly hairy and angry? And Toad is basically just a man with badly applied green face paint. Yeah. And there was one scene where all of this was hammered home to me. There's a scene where Toad faces off with Storm, and it's literally just those two characters. And I'm just like, why are you showing me this? I could not give less of a shit about either of these characters. And and it just really, that one scene really spoke to the overall problems with the movie. Um, Yeah, so that's basically the main crux of it. And I want to expand on that when we talk about the things that we would change about the movie because that sort of really addresses the problems I have with that. But I think that's the movie's downfall is trying to spend too much time with too many different characters. And it sort of ruins this first act that I really enjoyed by just taking out you out of it for the rest of the movie, I think. Yep. But yeah, um, if it's all right with you, why don't we move on to talking about what we would change about the movie? When they come out, does it hurt? Every time. Right, so we've talked about the good stuff, talked about the bad stuff. Now we're going to move on to our last little section. Well, penultimate section, I suppose. The changes that you would make to this film to improve it from your perspective. Okay, so as I said, the main issue I had with the movie was the ensemble casting and how the movie didn't quite know where to place its focus. And what I would do is I would have the movie focus on Wolverine and Rogue's journey and trim a lot of the other characters. So you spend more time on Wolverine and Rogue's relationship to see how they grow closer as people and each one attempts to come to terms with their own identities. So they meet, as they do at the beginning of the movie, they resolve to go and find out more about Logan's past together and they decide to embark upon a mutant road trip. <laughs> and it's awesome. And you st- and they establish this sort of like paternal relationship between the two and really get to know each other a little bit. And so obviously the first act sort of culminates in this car crash right? Uh, which which ends up with Wolverine and Rogue being saved by Cyclops and Storm, you know. Have the car crash. Have it be caused by Magneto and Mystique. No Storm and Cyclops, they're elsewhere. Wolverine is knocked out and Rogue is kidnapped by Magneto, who says he's been impressed by her abilities and he wants to try and radicalise her to their cause, basically. So, Wolverine still wakes up at the school, but again, you don't see any other X-Men apart from Jean Grey and Professor X. And so we're assuming that Storm and Cyclops are away on a special mission or you know, they're just not there, basically. Mm -hmm. They're not introduced to us. We don't know where they are. We don't know who they are. Wolverine, who is initially only concerned with his own agenda, teams up with Javier and Jean Grey to rescue Rogue, who he has started to care for throughout the first act of the movie. And so this also allows us to properly focus on the interactions between Jean Grey and Wolverine. And so you can properly establish a romantic connection between the two, so it doesn't just feel forced and out of nowhere. So basically, in doing so, you've got Wolverine and Jean Grey spending a bit more time together because there's less characters to focus on and you can actually establish some kind of sexual tension, romantic tension, whatever. Um, So then meanwhile, Rogue doesn't want to be rescued and is successfully being groomed by Magneto to support his cause. And so we see a few scenes of her powers being allowed to flourish. And this would give us a chance to explore the nuances of Magneto's philosophy. uh, And we could draw some interesting parallels between him, uh, Professor X, and their respective protégés, basically. Mm -hmm. And so 
This then eventually leads to an interesting confrontation between Wolverine and Rogue. Their attempt to rescue her backfires when she clearly sides with Magneto, and so we also get to see then some proper interactions between Magneto and Professor X. And then just, sorry, just to finish off here, towards the end of the movie, Rogue, upon witnessing the horrors that uh, Magneto inflicts upon Senator Kelly, realises the implications of Magneto's plan and is filled with doubt, and then she eventually stops him. She's not rescued, she's not damseled, she stops him, just in time for Professor X, Jean Grey and Wolverine to take him into custody. So they then return to the school, where Professor X intends to rehabilitate Rogue. By this time, there's a clear, established romance between Wolverine and Jean Grey, and just as they're about to kiss at the end of the movie for the first time, they're interrupted by Cyclops and Storm, and it's made clear that Cyclops and Jean are supposed to be in a relationship. And then the movie still ends with the extended an extended scene between Professor X and Magneto as Magneto sits in prison. And then you sort of... I think that would allow the movie to stand by itself as a good movie but also set up for a sequel mm-hmm, mm-hmm. without it just being in service of the sequel mm-hmm. uh, but they're the main changes i would make i like that as well because what you've got there is um throughout the movie when i was watching it i thought magneto and wolverine were quite similar so like wolverine you know is negative and cynical and selfish magneto is essentially the same thing uh, and then rogue is sort of timid shy non-confrontational professor javier is the same as well and what you've done there is that you've done a bit of a switch so you've got wolverine the cynic working with the pacifist and then on the other side you've got the same dynamic and that's quite that's quite good because you would expect maybe that wolverine would work with magneto because he's a bit of an asshole um so Mm -hmm. i like that um yeah i think you're absolutely right in saying that that would just concentrate it all down a little bit onto the interesting characters and not the the fuckheads that no one cares about in this movie which are like (laughs) prolific yeah they're like 70 percent of the movie yeah i mean i would basically do very similar things to you in terms of the restructuring but instead of focusing on wolverine and rogue i would potentially focus more on the conflict between javier and gandalf yeah that would be my narrative decision because they are the bedrocks of the two opposing forces in x-men right Mm. the radical brotherhood and then the x-men and i think if you're doing this as a foundation movie for a franchise setting up sequels and things start with the foundations and move up from there so like Mm. maybe the movie is almost split into two halves where you see the rise to power of both those two individuals so Mm. by the end of the first movie we understand that there is a conflict brewing between the two forces as opposed to being thrown directly into the middle of it i mean to be honest though if i'm being brutally honest i don't really care enough about this movie to suggest too many changes because it's in service to something that is far bigger and more complicated and confusing than it needs to be so i think like actually as a movie for its role within a franchise probably serves it very effectively yeah but it makes it a terrible movie as a consequence. Yeah, I mean, and that's what my changes were more geared towards because I remember the X-Men sequel, the second X-Men movie, being a lot better than this one. And I feel like as a setup to that movie, I guess it works pretty well. But like that, my changes were basically how to how to make this stand up on its own two legs. I mean, maybe we'll do the second one at some point because I do remember the second one being better and I'm genuinely curious to see if... Uh, you'd think it was an improvement. But maybe that's something we'll get to one day, maybe not. But I suppose then the final question just remains, Ollie. Do you think you need rose-tinted spectacles to enjoy this movie, or do you think it holds up on its own merit? Um, I think you do. (sighs) Do I? 
It's really hard to be like, because it's obviously a very subjective question you're asking me and I'm trying desperately to be objective about it. Like my gut reaction to that question is to say, like, I just don't really care about it enough to know either way whether you need nostalgia to enjoy it. Mm. I didn't have a huge amount of nostalgia for it to begin with, I suppose, is the problem there. But I think that probably not, actually. I think Mm. that, you know, the movie is hilariously bad um, pretty much from start to finish and it it had me laughing out loud so I think like you can enjoy it on that sort of level but Mm. you can also maybe appreciate it in terms of the monstrosity that it created yeah Um, so I don't think you do I think of all the superhero movies I've watched it's definitely not the worst one Mm -hmm. Um, and I think despite the fact it's 21 years old I, I think it's still it's still relatively nice to look at yeah. I mean, to be fair, like, that's very diplomatic and objective of you. I think you succeeded in giving an objective answer. <laughs> okay, good. Because I would actually agree, and I'm someone who did have quite a lot of nostalgia for this movie. I, I really liked it when I was a kid. Um, so I would actually agree. I think if you are into superhero movies, generally speaking, there's nothing to stop you liking this. You know, mm. if you're an adult that's gone to see Avengers Endgame and whatever else, you'll still like this movie, Yeah. you know? Um, I, and I don't think it is something that survives on nostalgia alone. Um, it's a flawed movie, dude. It's a shit movie. Well, but you, it 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 works on the it works on its own premise, and and that's fine. Yeah, exactly. We're not trying to establish whether we like the movie, whether or not we think it's a good movie. It's whether or not we think it holds up to an adult kind of perspective. And it does. Yeah, it does. It's fine. It's fine. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I guess that does it. What an overwhelmingly mediocre experience. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I just like how how this just peters out. Our conversations at this point, usually from the other movies, have been like the peak of our irritation or the peak of our resignation to it. But here it's just sort of petered out into nothing, which I think sums up really the experience of the movie for me. Yeah, and also hopefully sums up the fate of superhero franchises in general in their current form. I hope so. But anyway, yeah, so I think that just about does it. Uh, I want to say a special thank you to Dilettante for letting us use their song My Dress as our theme tune. I have been Paddy. And I've been Ollie. And we have been Rose Tinted. Thank you very much for listening and we will see you all next time. <laughs>